Hello and welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in this series, we will be exploring the current job market and work opportunities in Australia for returning Australian expats. I'll be talking to organisations who engage with Aussie expats about where they see the opportunities and the challenges for Australians coming home. If you've just returned, are thinking about it, this series will give you the current lowdown on working and networking back home. This episode, I will be talking about a role where an expat's experience with global markets is particularly sought after in Australia right now, and that is a role on an advisory board. Today, my guest is the founder and CEO of the advisory board centre, Louise Brockman. After founding the centre 10 years ago, Louise has grown the centre to be one of the leading professional bodies for the advisory sector and has led the curation of more than a thousand advisory boards in the last two years. She believes expats with knowledge and experience working in international markets make excellent candidates for advisory boards, particularly as more and more Australian companies and startups look at their global growth ambitions. So welcome, Louise. Thank you, Margot. Great to be here. Before we dive into things, can you share a little bit of your uh, about what your role is and tell us a little bit more about the Advisory Board Centre? Yeah, thank you. So I'm the founder and CEO of the Advisory Board Centre, leading the Advisory Board community and best practice and ethical frameworks is a really timely thing in the market as advisory boards continue to grow. So I take my role really seriously, not as the leader, but just as the starting point for this sector. Margot, we've got a 100-year strategy. We're five years old. This sector is really new. It's embryonic. So it's exciting to be the caretaker of the sector for the future. Yeah. And I guess being so new, you you really see it for all that it is today and the journey it's been on so far. So the good, the bad, the unregulated, the the whole kit and caboodle, I'm sure. Yeah, it has such a long way to go. And being patient is not one of my virtues, but, <laughs> but, but we have to be when we need to really look after and nurture the sector to be the best it possibly can be for the future. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to start the Advisory Board Centre? The journey was I had my previous business um, and it was a professional services group. We had the opportunity to really grow it and I was making decisions and I was thinking, is that a good decision? I'm not really sure if it is or not. And so I was second guessing that and with the growth opportunity that we had, I thought I need to be more confident and deliberate about the decisions that I was making. So I just made it up and I thought, I'm going to put together an advisory board. It was great. It was it was life-changing for me. We grew that company to 135 offices in eight countries in five years. And, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a journey. So when I sold the business, first of all, I was very tired, so I slept for a year. <laughs> the other thing is I was very grateful for what it had done for me personally as well as for the business. I thought, if I can do that for me, what can it do for other people? Because I came from professional services and intellectual property development background, I decided to take five years to research, test and validate advisory board structures globally. So I packed up my house, went backpacking around the world for two and a half years and researched and absorbed myself in advisory boards. And uh, in that, I researched 430 consulting firms in 17 countries to look at where is the future of advice going to be? And that's when I found no one was looking after the sector at all. And uh, I was wondering, why is it that no one else can see this? 
governance boards are being looked after, accountants and lawyers are being looked after, they're on the fringes, but in the middle where advisory boards are, no one was looking after it. And so everyone's operating like a free-range chicken. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's just doing their own thing. And I thought the advisory board has so many different moving parts to it that it needs a collaborative peer community. So you can't control a sector, you've got to support it. That's when we decided to step back from chairing and developing advisory boards to actually then create the professional body to really support the growth of the sector in a really ethical way. So that was five years ago and now we operate in over 20 countries today. And can you share a little bit about how companies and organisations are using advisory boards today? The market is changing rapidly so I might look at the landscape of where advisory boards sit. You get the business sector and in Australian terms, the businesses from $1.5 million to $100 million turnover, that is the homeland for where advisory boards began. 75% of them will use advisory boards because they want to grow. But also they are trying to navigate what's next. So you get the business market in subsets then. So you get certain make or break points where they need to decide what they're going to do next. Do they step up? Do they step back? Or do they step out? There are certain revenue points that that happens. $1.5 million to $10 million in revenue, $10 million to $30 million, $30 to $50, $50 to $100. And so business owners like myself really love advisory boards because they don't want a really strict governance structure because they think and operate like a business owner, but they want a group of people around them but not lose control of their business or the asset that they've worked so hard to build. So that's the business market. The startup and scale-up market being driven by the venture capital market and investors, right? And so there's an increase in the use of advisory boards in accelerator programs by using advisor panels as well as investment communities putting best practice advisory boards to then provide confidence back to their investors that what they're doing with their money and social enterprises is a good example of that, of them using best practice advisory boards. Then we get this whole new market and that's corporatised advisory boards. It's really exciting and it's tricky. Corporatised advisory boards are defined by the organisation has a really well-defined governance structure and then they build advisory boards within their ecosystem of governance. Now, the trend is worldwide. Financial Times reported this in August last year. The fifth key trend in governance boards is that governance boards are getting smaller. With that governance boards getting smaller and the high risk for directors, they go, you know what, I personally don't think it's worthwhile anymore. For me, it's not worth the risk, the risk reward. So I'm going to move my role into an advisory board function instead of a governance board. So that's one thing of individuals saying, I want to de-risk my portfolio. The rise of directors and officers insurance, everybody knows about it. Uh, A year and a half ago, it was reported by Marsh Group that had gone, uh, driven on average over 229% in one year, growth in cost of DNO insurance. So the cost of governance boards is really a constraint. The other factor we've got in governance boards where I think the expat community have an incredible role to play is to navigating the future. And so We have now stakeholder engagement being more important than ever where everyone's looking to the governance boards saying you need to make brave decisions around corporate social responsibility. That group's getting smaller and the personal risk is high, so their first answer to most things is no because it's risky. But the market is demanding that directors make 
different decisions. It may not be better decisions. And so advisory boards have this new role to play to support directors to de-risk and for organisations to de-risk their governance because a director doesn't go to jail because they made a good or bad decision. They go to jail because they haven't shown good due process about how the decision was made. Whether it was a good one or not is irrelevant. It's about the due process. So if organisations and in a governance system can separate out the problem-solving and the thinking, a thinking system, separating that out to how the decision is made, then it becomes safe or safer or the system of making different decisions. So I think this is really interesting. So in areas of supply, supply chain, which is a big issue globally, cybersecurity, entering into new markets, commercialisation of new ideas, you know, completely reviewing a technology stack, all of those things are really high risk and advisory boards have this incredible role to play within it. All those elements of what you talked about, you know, I hear that constantly in terms of appetite for expats wanting to contribute this knowledge and experience that they've had from abroad. So it is lovely to hear that this is something that's being valued and being embraced and is growing in its own right, you know, so it's definitely an avenue there. What types of sectors are creating advisory boards The sectors themselves, it's really diverse. You know, traditionally, professional services sector is the largest sector and technology-driven businesses. So we're getting SaaS-based businesses who have growth but don't know how to handle the growth as being the largest industry sector, if you like, or industry stream. Then you get emerging industries like the energy sector is a big sector for advisory boards. You get the industrial and resources uh, sector, you get advanced manufacturing supply chain organisations. Then you get food and agriculture and health and life sciences. Now, the health and life sciences, well, in, in particular health, is set to grow incredibly because of the new regulations coming in in Australia around advisory boards for the aged care sector. So this is a really new development in the market which will change the face of the advisory board market. And so how does the certification program work? Yeah, so we've proudly developed the first credential for advisory board professionals in the world, um, and it's called the Certified Chair Executive Program. That's been developed so that if an individual is really looking to become an advisory board professional, to chair an advisory board or be an advisor of an advisory board, or for an organisation to say we want to be in control of the way of our advisory board function works and integrates with other parts of the business, then they complete the chair certification. It's by application only. We accept less than 10% of those that apply to join because we want to make sure it's a really good motivational fit for the individual and they're wanting to contribute and give back in an advisory board setting. Interesting, um, Margot, I'm doing all the talking here today, which is a bit embarrassing. Uh, but no, it's great. We love it. <laughs> but, but advisory boards is actually not what comes out of our mouths. It's about how we listen. And so it doesn't fit for everyone. So the Certified Chair Program, we really carefully curate people coming into it so that they really value what it is and want to contribute to the ongoing development of the sector too, given that we've got 95 years to go. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, can't, I can't do it on my own. No one can. But we need to be able to learn from each other and continue to evolve what best practice is. So I want people not to just 
attend things or sit passively and waiting for things to happen. I want people to contribute. I want people to participate so that they're actually part of the future and developing a whole new sector of which, you know, we we survey um, members each year about what's going on with their rates, how they position themselves in the market. I'm in the middle of, you know, researching that at the moment. And one of the key things that our members of our community really love is they're part of building this sector. So that's the entry into, I guess, our our community. The Certified Chair Program then is about everything best practice, about what are the foundations to advisory boards, how do you set up and establish and manage and refresh an advisory board in the business sector, how do you manage an advisory board in a corporate environment when you've got to navigate the governance board and the executive team and who else, who knows who else you've you've got to relate to, and then around ethics. So there's a lot of situational ethics in advisory boards because largely it's not regulated or legislated. And so you can't have best practice standards when it's just following this one way of doing things because my way of doing something might be different the way that you would do it or someone else. So you can't have standards when it would be broken before it was even released. So it's based on best practice principles. And how do you match businesses with certified advisory board members? Do you have a process and a framework around that? Yes and no. We're not a recruiter, so we don't then do a matching service, if you like, like a recruitment process. We have an alternative, and this is one of those decisions that you make, is this a good commercial decision or not for us, but what's for the greater good? So instead of selling a service like that, we decided to provide a free service, and it's called the Advisor Concierge. Now, when a business or an organisation wants to put together an advisory board, 95% of them have never had an advisory board before. So they don't know what they need. And then secondly, they don't know who they need. The other factor is that we want organisations to think bigger and get beyond their immediate bubble and start trusting themselves to look beyond the people that they know and start connecting with people that they don't know. So an organisation will come to us. We help them to scope out what are their priorities for their organisation for the next 18 months. What are they trying to achieve? What are their priorities to be able to address that? And then from that, we then scope out what are their different options that they have for their advisor structure. When they decide on their pathway that they want to take, that creates an expression of interest that goes out to our advisory board community and our members can apply for that and it goes directly to the business. We provide them with interview guides and support and that kind of thing. But business owners and organisations need to step up rather than hiding behind someone else saying, that was a really bad recruit. I'm going to blame everybody else. We provide them with resources instead to be able to help them step up and take ownership of the decisions they make. That's why an advisory board is really good, right? Because they have to own their own decisions. And so that expression of interest goes out to our advisory board community. But we also enable that expression of interest for that business or organisation to take it out to their own networks because we may or may not have the right people in our network. We can't say you have someone who may not be right for you. We heard that, you know, you have a number of Australian expats on advisory boards often seeking this as a route um, after they return home. How is international experience being viewed by organisations right now from those within your network? Australian businesses have a great opportunity and organisations, not just the business sector, have great opportunity to harness the um, Uh, the expat experience, but they don't necessarily know how to. 
So an advisory board is one good way to be able to do that because, you know, growth strategy is the largest motivator for organisations to have an advisory board. You look at the small Australian economy, then growth strategies mean international markets. So Australia itself, I think, needs to view itself differently in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, We are part of Asia and uh, I think uh, a lot of the expats that are coming back home to Australia with that experience have got a lot of knowledge, experience, contacts and context to be able to provide those businesses with a different viewpoint. Where I see expats and businesses' challenges, they don't know how to meet and have the conversation to start with. I spoke to an expat just a few days ago talking about I've got this incredible experience from Europe, from, you know, Asia, and I do this and I do this and I do this and I should be sitting on advisory boards and, I mean, having these conversations for 12 months but I haven't had a gig yet. And so I asked him, how many times have you asked about what they're doing? Because the types of opportunities that I think get created and better opportunities than getting a job or applying for a job is a business opportunity coming from having a conversation about their what's next, the organisation's what's next. So where I see advisors being really successful is that they are deeply curious about someone else. I agree. And I think often the challenge is, is, you know, you're trying to position yourself to something that you really may not have the knowledge of what's happening in the day to day and on the ground. So it comes across as a sell. Whereas if you're having a conversation and you're being deeply curious, it's almost like together you're exploring the possibility of what could be. And then what's in there is the potential to explore that even further and maybe with some commercial terms or maybe, you know, with some other parameters around it. But I think it starts, as you say, from that moment of just being deeply curious. Yeah, and, and that's, that starts a conversation about the what you need, not the who. I'm, I may or may not be right for you, right? And so you say, I'm, I'm really interested about what's going on here for you. And what I find is when they're part of the advisory board community, they say, I may, may or may not be right for you, but I've got these connections with 500 people in 20 countries. But if I'm not right for you, I can help you connect in with others without trying to take a, a bit for yourself. And I tried this when I first came back from overseas. I tracked every number of every activity that I did. So it was a bit crazy, Margot. So I was looking at (laughs) how many conversations did I have? How much work did I steer to other people? And what did I get in return? And so I came back to a small region just outside of Brisbane and I didn't know anybody here. So I used this technique to build my knowledge of the market but also my profile in the market at the same time. And so that whole thing about being curious about who do you need, so I'm not right for you, but can I connect you in with uh, some other people that I think would be really useful for you? And it took less than six months for me to become a very handy person to know for other people because you are seen as a giver rather than trying to take. And my ratio was nine to one. So I gave nine opportunities out to other people and I received one back. Yeah, but if they're the right opportunities, that's gold. And and I think your point around having those conversations, it deepens your own knowledge. And so I'm a great believer in educating yourself on the market or, you know, using conversations like this to help educate yourself on the market because I think we all have a lot to offer and we want to contribute. It's just knowing how. 
And so I think going on that journey to solve the problem together is a way to look at that. Yeah, we developed a uh, an e-learning program called the Portfolio Career Program. It's um, in that process. It was designed specifically for people to really map out where is my market, what is my value, and who's going to value that. And if you're seeing yourself as a thought leader, who are the other thought leaders in the space that I'm in? Am I connected in with them? Or they already reached their use-by date and there's a whole new group coming in and I need to keep myself fresh in the market. So by mapping out your market and what is your voice to the market and your value and identifying who's going to value it, it stops you from trying to just spray out and talk to everybody, just be really targeted about, about your value proposition. Oh, I think it's excellent advice and it's something that we follow a similar principle on with the career programs that we look at because, well, firstly, you have to reflect and understand what it is that you want so that motivators piece and what you enjoy, but what is the market doing? Who and where are these people? Who should you be connected with? That sort of work can really start a long way before you come home. So the considerations around the advisory boards for et cetera can happen long before you get on the plane to come back here, which I think is, you know, again, something that helps us all feel a bit more confident when we get off the plane <laughs> right home. So, yeah. Yeah, we see that with expats who are taking a proactive approach, doing that really well, and at least 12 months of, you know, you see the ones that join the advisory board community, because they can connect in with advisors all around the world. They can build those connections and those relationships before they come home. They can apply for opportunities or, you know, start building opportunities or business opportunities with each other. It's not just about job, but that's where I think expats have got incredible opportunity around new business opportunities. Are you seeing any particular international market experience in demand right now? Yes, certainly around entering into new markets. And so there's um, a few advisory boards that have been formed because China and Hong Kong are a little bit tricky right now. And so businesses that are trying to protect their business assets and building an advisory board in market to help them navigate, are they going to stay in market? They're going to leave. Then you get the international markets around Asia again. So there's um, there's a business that we just recently helped with their advisory board. They had their supply chain coming in from China, they wanted to de-risk that and build multiple supply chains, which is really expensive, right, and building multiple supply chains. But they ended up with their manufacturing going through Mexico because their key market's the US. And so how do they navigate that? So I think Mexico is a really interesting market. I think, too, for Australia, we've got the new free trade agreement with um, India. I think there'll be some really interesting pathways India that will be evolving over over time. But the great thing that I'm probably most excited about is that Australian businesses are saying we're not just wanting to enter one market, they're taking more of a regional approach. So the Asia region, so what's it like to do business in Asia without having the Asia literacy on their governance board or in their executive team, they have to tap into talent and not just one because you tap into one person to provide advice that's really tricky because that person may or may not be providing the advice that's really right for you. And we, that's where advisory boards de-risks the strategy because you've got a few voices around the table, not just one. Yeah, it's the collective voice, isn't it? Yeah, and they don't necessarily need to agree with each other, which as a business owner or an organisation, you kind of want that because you want different viewpoints of what's going on in the market. 
Can you share a story about somebody who's come home from overseas and joined an advisory board and directly leveraged their international experience? Yeah, so there's a certified chair. She joined the advisory board centre while she was still overseas and then got involved in the community, moved to Australia last year, but was already sitting and establishing advisory boards, not just in Australia, but across Asia Pacific. So an advisory board can be anywhere. Um, it doesn't mean that you just need to have an advisory board in Australia. You can have you can sit on an advisory board anywhere in the world if you want to get up at two o'clock in the morning and be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Well, you know, I remember I was backpacking or chairing my first advisory boards via Skype at two o'clock in the morning. That's where long hair, you can pull it back and put a pashmina over your pyjamas yeah. and you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, so anyway, she had really thought carefully about the transition and not just waited and not just look at opportunities in Australia but look across Asia Pacific and then uh, was chairing advisory boards within that own market when she actually moved to Sydney. Within three months, she was building her profile um, uh, quite strongly within the local market as well. But she was already deeply connected in with the advisors within that market, so she wasn't entering the market cold. It's just so nice when you've got some warm ways to transition back home and it's a perfect way to do it. Do you see many Australian companies having an advisory board with remote members? Yeah, my chair has been in Shanghai and now he's in the UK. So it works well. It's about being able to access the right skills, experience and mindset that's right for a business. But then when when you've got advisory boards, say, for instance, you look at large organisations like Transurban and Afterpay building an advisory board in the US market to help them with their market entry. So you get those fit-for-purpose advisory boards that are about entering into new markets with having advisory boards in those markets. Really smart way to do that. A publicly listed company in Australia realised that their governance board didn't have representation of the markets that they were in, so they had that diversity issue, not diversity of gender but diversity with regards to market knowledge. So they built an advisory board with representation for those markets so they could fix a short-term issue with regards to credibility from their customers on that advisory board. But the great thing about that is that organisation is doing a try before you buy for that advisory board to see who are they going to pick for their governance board for the longer term. So it's a good short-term strategy to fix that, but a longer-term strategy saying we know we've got an issue with our governance system, but it's going to take us time. So it's able to, to buy time for that. Yeah, and it's interesting because, as you know, we've got a survey running at the moment, and one of the questions that we've asked expats is how willing and available are they to sit on boards and contribute to advisory boards from abroad before they come back? And there, the the indicative insights definitely share or suggest that there is an overwhelming appetite for people to get involved. So I think our conversation is really timely because there is there's a hunger for people to explore ways to look at this area. So, I mean, you're five years into a 100-year plan, so you clearly see that there is growth in the advisory boards in the future. What does the next sort of five years look like for you? Well, if, if we just look at what happened in the last two years, the advisory board sector globally grew over 52% in less than two years. So great opportunity but problematic because we're getting a whole lot of people sitting on advisory boards who don't know what they're doing. When there's no regulation and you're getting so much growth in advisory boards, self-regulation has to really, we need to step up with regards to that self-regulation. 
So credentials, best practice frameworks, the ABF 101 best practice framework, which was released in 2020, it gets constantly evaluated by an independent advisory board that oversees best practice and ethics. We need to ensure that as sectors like the aged care sector in Australia, where they're regulating advisory boards for the first time, which is around clinical governance and around the customer, that advisory boards in high-risk customer environments, that they are impactful, that they are doing good work, that they are listening to the customer, they are providing feedback as well as impact with regards to the result of what they're doing. So the advisory board sector will grow one advisory board at a time. We'll only get a good name because of the good work that we do every day. The next next five years is that these, uh, they're not even niche because it's large, they're large sectors that where it becomes regulated in those environments that will push through to other regulated environments. So I think aged care followed by disability, followed by childcare, followed by financial services. The other thing in the next five years is all about the stakeholder economy. Uh, so stakeholder engagement. Corporate social responsibility is here to stay and stakeholder activism is here to stay. The thinking systems that need to be in place, advisory boards are right there in amongst it to be able to be a good mechanism. It's not the only mechanism, but it's a good mechanism to be able to build that, that stakeholder engagement and the stakeholder economy um, as a whole. And with real credibility and foundations. Yeah. So through your role, you obviously deal with a large range of Australian organisations at a very senior level. What advice would you give an Australian expat who's just come home and is trying to navigate the local job market? Margot, to answer that, can I just ask you, the, the program that you take people through, is that how long does that take? Well, it's anywhere between three to six months typically, yep. but then I work a lot with people who are doing the thinking sort of 12 months, two years out from coming home. And part of that is about evaluating what opportunities they may have and how that helps inform the next decision that they make around the world of work for them. Yeah, that's that's really, that's, that's great to know. So going through a mapping exercise, and it's not a mapping exercise that you do once because once you start on a journey of a portfolio career or entering the market, your market and your positioning in the market will change in 12 months' time. And, it, and once you build a portfolio, it's constant evolution. So you can never take your positioning in the market for granted. Identifying what are your what is your value proposition, and we call it your top three. What are your top three areas of specialisation? Who's going to value that? Who's in that ecosystem of where you think your value can be realised? And that may be, is it a job? Is it a, a portfolio? Is it interim? Is it being in front of a group of investors and leading one of their investments? Is it a business opportunity with a few others to maximise that? Is it being involved in an accelerator and actually being involved in a new startup with funding behind it? So many different ways to be able to evaluate your position in different types of markets. I think it's really important that expats understand their value, but then having real conversations with those that are going to value that expertise. Yeah, because I think so many come home and they they become coffee addicts overnight. They, they just have so many coffees, but they it's, it's broad, it's not narrow. And so just actually sharpening that focus. And I think, you know, you're in such a major transition of life. You have 
a couple of shut doors or knockbacks in that process, it's it can be pretty hard to sort of get up and get going, go, right, I've got to take the energy to refocus, chunk it down and, and keep moving forward. I also think for many people that return, they've had the big gig overseas. They're not necessarily looking for the big gig here, but they want to do great work. And so it's not necessarily a job that defines you, but more around the offering, I think, sometimes that you bring to the table, more broadly speaking. Mm. And being relevant to the market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think it's one thing to define what you want. It's another thing to know what the market will let you do. Exactly. But also get yourself busy in a proactive way. So build a project. So say, for instance, you're an expat. This is the way I would do it. If I was an expat coming home, I'd go, what am I really curious about? And if I was involved in problem solving for the future, what kind of problems do I want to get involved with? Then I would look at what information is out there, what research is out there, and I would create my own project advisory board around it to then get other like-minded people around to talk about what are the issues for that industry about that thing and then get the right players around the table. And so instead of waiting back for someone to invite you, why not invite them? And out of that, you can create all sorts of different things, research reports, conversations, you know, discussions not at a business level but at an industry level, right? So you're raising your value automatically in the market because you are thinking bigger. And so for those who are looking at coming home and potentially the portfolio career approach, including a role on the advisory board, what advice would you give? What additional advice would you give? How early should they reach out to you? What's the sort of the process to go through for you? Well, I'd say definitely reach out to us. If advisory boards is really something that you want to do, get involved in advisory boards, think tanks, committees, that's the space that we operate in. We've got a discovery process. There's an evaluation on both sides to see if there's a fit. And then if there's a fit, timing is everything. So don't do it if you're just going, oh, I'm not really serious about making a transition. I just say, don't don't waste your time in doing that. So I would say start the process, do your research and your investigation, and then do your planning out of that. Most people, when they're building a portfolio, if we're talking about a portfolio career, not having one job just to define who you are, is most people go for between four to six gigs on at any given time, right? And so that's a really nice sort of portfolio. I know when I was chairing four advisory boards, I had and and I had other businesses on some, you know, 90-day plans when I was working with them. I had a fantastic life. I, I was working at 65% capacity. I'm looking forward to getting back to that. Yeah, and, and when you think about a lot of the reasons why expats come home, career is important, but it's not necessarily the driver. It's lifestyle or it's, you know, it's other things such as ageing parents or kids entering school at a certain phase. So it is about having time and space for that as well. Yeah, yeah. And still being able to be, uh, your identity is being challenged because everything's changing around you, but being relevant to the market. So being really clear about, you know, how is it that I'm going to be relevant and stay relevant? Advisory boards is not a retirement strategy. So it's about keeping yourself current and up to date. And that's the other thing I would say is that coming back to Australia, Australia probably whether you might realise it or not, has changed. 
<laughs> and I hear a lot, you know, Australia's behind the times. And But there's so many exciting pockets of things that are going on here and you just got to find them but not take it for granted that what you knew is still what's happening out there today. Make yourself curious. Make sure that you're up to date. Just finally, what, what do you think the Australian public and private sector could be doing more of to tap into the senior executive Australians who are working overseas and wanting to come home? Yeah, I think they need to open up where they look, but I think they need to also open up their minds to this concept that you need to have been in Australia for the last three years for me to have a look at you. That closed-mindedness I know exists and it's it's really hard for expats to overcome that or even immigrants to come into Australia to deal with that. Do you think COVID's shifting that? I would hope so. Yeah. But also, you know, they talk about the skills shortage and this is where ex- executives moving into advisory means that smaller organisations could potentially afford you, whereas it was a full-time gig, they couldn't. And when you're looking at, especially when you're looking at international market strategies, I think expats have got a great opportunity to really think about what is it that I know and then what companies are in that space and do outbound activity to them, not wait for them to be contacted or wait for a job to come, especially in the advisory board space. Businesses don't know they need an advisory board. They just know that they've got a problem or an opportunity. An advisory board is, is an outcome. It's not actually an important to start with. So I would say expats, put your entrepreneur's hat on and look at business opportunities. Don't look for a job. Amazing, Louise. I could continue this conversation for another hour. (laughs) And I really thank you so much for your time. I think you've left many of us thinking about some of the opportunities that we need to also ponder or for those who are coming home need to ponder. And I've just really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks, Margot. And to all the expats, welcome home. (laughs) Yes, yes, thank you. Okay, bye for now. The Advisory Board Centre is a distribution partner of our inaugural Australian Expat Career Survey 2022. If you're an Aussie expat still overseas or returned in the last three years, we would love to hear your views. Go to australianexpatcareersurvey2022.com or follow the link on the InSync website. All participants will receive first access to the survey report, plus the opportunity to join a complimentary career repatriation workshop and networking event with other returning Australian expats. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes.